Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. We, we have a couple um, special guests this morning. One you're going get, to get to meet in, uh, at length here in just a second. But uh, one of our own is home. Uh, she thinks she lives in South Carolina, but she's really she's really in Oklahoma, and she really is from South Carolina. But we take her here. Miss Nan Carpenter's back, one of our spiritual moms here in the house. And uh, welcome home. You, she knows, but I'm just going to tell you all so she knows again. She always has a home here. This is her home, and we are so delighted that you're here. Miss Imogene, it's good to have you here too. And we're just excited and glad you guys are here. Well, we've been in this thing uh, this week. Our conference had a pastor's conference, and we've had the privilege of uh, inviting one of my friends in to do that pastor's conference, and he did an outstanding job. We've been working him like a dog. He's been preaching since Thursday, every day, multiple times a day. Um, and then I said, well, while you're here, <clears throat> While you're here, we've got to work it out so that you can be with us. You are familiar with him in that some of you that were here this past summer know that Julie and I took a trip to Tennessee to visit uh, some churches at the request of the pastor so that we could kind of sneak in and nobody would know who we were and we could evaluate what was going on. And uh, so we did that and have developed a relationship, and we are delighted today to have Pastor Josh Hanna with us. Now, let me explain, because he doesn't have time to share his whole testimony, so I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. Version, uh, version. man, I'm doing like you, Josh. I'm like getting all my words mixed up. Um, version. That, yeah, just whatever's in your heart, out of the abundance of the mouth. No. Uh, Josh grew up in an abusive home, ended up. Uh, being addicted to drugs and alcohol and at a very young age and uh, was working out with a guy and the guy kept bugging him about church and just to get him to shut up he went to church with him to about a 50 member Pentecostal hole in his church and Josh would tell you that when he walked in he thought those folks were nuts um, only problem was is that he got saved <laughs> and uh, and then just a couple years later became the pastor of that little bitty 50 member church um, and God has done some incredible things over the last decade or two um, as he's led that church. They, I, I can't, we can tell you, but it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't make sense. He's from Humphreys County, Tennessee in a town called Waverly, which I went and visited his church, his main church. He's got five, but his main one is like, going to Kingfisher, take a right, and go as far out in the country as you can go and stick a church out there, and 800 people show up there every Sunday morning. doesn't make any sense. None. And out of that, they've, they've established four other campuses with uh, drug and alcohol rehab centers built into those, and on an average weekend, they're averaging 1,600 people. Waverly has 4,000 people in it. And God is just doing some great things. They are literally shaking not only Humphreys County and the surrounding areas. They are shaking the world. And so God is doing some great things. And so we are so privileged this morning uh, to get to have Pastor Josh with us. And I just want you to give a huge Passion Church welcome to Pastor Josh Hanna as he brings the word this morning. Uh-oh. Well, I know some of your guys already. Um, we have an intern home as well. I don't know if I've ever even told you that, but we've got an intern house, 
And uh, one of our campuses is strictly a homeless campus. Not that the campus is homeless, but it's for homeless people. And uh, it's all about inner city kids and homeless. And one voice came, and I see some of those guys here. And uh, I got to hang out with their intern group. And you guys are are my favorite group that's ever came. You're the only one I ever hung out with, but you're my favorite group. And we had a a blast. So Matthew chapter 7, open your Bible. Matthew chapter 7. I said one voice. Was that the name of it? Oh, there you go. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And uh, as you're getting turned over there, I normally tell a corny church joke. Today's not going to be any different. Just humor me. Laugh. Doesn't matter if it's funny. There's this preacher, and he's a country preacher in a small town like where I'm from. And he's preaching, and, and he got on the subject of drinking wine. And he said, if I had all the wine in the world, I'd throw it in the river. And the people got excited. They yelled, amen. I got him excited. So then he said, if I had all the beer in the river, I'd throw it in the world. I'd throw it in the river. (laughs) Put it in the world. And then somebody yelled, amen. Come on, preacher. By this time, he's fired up. He said, if I had all the whiskey in the river, I'd throw it. If I had all the whiskey in the world. (laughs) Listen, they've been preaching me in the morning, in the morning. Questioning me all day, preaching at night. You guys got to hang with me and show some grace, okay? If I had all the whiskey in the world, I would throw it in the river. People got happy. They danced in the aisle. And then all of a sudden, the worship leader got up there, and he was blushing. And he said, if you turn to him, 317, shall we gather at the river? All right. Let's bow our heads. Oh, you look. Well, thank you. Stop. Stop. Let's bow our heads and pray real quick. Ask God to help me uh, not be delirious and, and get my words down right, right? Or give me an interpreter, either one. Father, I think you're going to speak to us today from your word. I pray that your word would have a great impact on our hearts. Um, we today, God, are going to hear a subject that maybe, maybe we've never looked at this scripture that way before. But, so, God, I pray just right now we wouldn't prejudge this sermon. We'd open our hearts, God. We'd open our minds. You're going to give us revelation. We're going to have our hearts changed today about some things because you're going to speak to us, Lord, through the Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me real quick. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin at verse 1. We're just going to honor God's Word and stand together. Here's what it says. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you judge, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Now, can I just say something? Did you know 10 years ago, the number one quoted verse, the most famous verse in our country, the one people knew above every other verse was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you know I recently read the number one, the most quoted verse in the United States of America today? is no longer John 3.16. You know what it is? Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. How do you go as a nation from quoting that God gave His only Son to the most quoted verses? Don't judge me. Don't you judge me. Judge not that you be not judged. And then verse 2, here, here's what he says. or Verse um, 3. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye. 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look a plank as in your own eye? Hypocrite. Who's the only people Jesus ever called a hypocrite? Pharisees. Somebody said my mother-in-law. No, Pharisees. Pharisees. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I want to read that again. He said, remove the speck from your brother's eye. I've always read this passage and thought he was saying, judge not that you be not judged. Why are you looking at the speck? Leave them alone. It's none of your business. Walk away. And I read this a while back. You've probably already seen this before. I'd never seen it before. I read it a while back, and that jumped out at me. Remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus does want us to deal with the sin, with the speck in our brother's life. I want you to bow your heads one more time. God, again I pray, give us revelation on this scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Um, If I would have read one more verse down, does anybody know what it would have said? Verse 6. He would have said, don't give what's holy to the dogs. Don't cast your pearl before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, i got a question. If I can't judge, how am I supposed to know who's a dog and who's a pig? How am I supposed to know? If I can't judge your actions, your behavior, your attitude, if I can't judge anything in your life, how can I separate the dogs and pigs from the good folk? How am I supposed to know? Who's he speaking to again? Hypocrites, who are they? Pharisees. Listen to this one, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Before we read it, the Apostle Paul is going to write to a church. It's a small little church, probably meeting in a house. And they've got a guy in their church. You're not going to believe it. Well, you might. You're from Oklahoma. This guy is sleeping with his father's wife. You're from Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm kidding for you. Can you believe that? He's sleeping with his father's wife. Now, some scholars say, well, as a stepmother. That's still not much better. That's messed up. I don't care where you're from. Would you agree? And the church, he told the church, he said, you're puffed up. In other words, you're prideful about this because they're yelling, oh, we're showing grace. I mean, they're probably looking at each other. Hey, remember, judge not that you be not judged. We can't judge this man. And Paul, the Apostle Paul says to him in the first couple of verses, he said, you rather should have mourned. That word mourn in the Greek literally means to be broken over sin. When Jesus said in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He was saying, blessed are those who are broken over their sin, for they shall be comforted by God. They should have been broken, but they weren't because, hey, they're not judging. They're doing the right thing here. They're showing some Christian love. Or is to judge, is to love. Because here's what Paul says in verse 3. For indeed, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. Paul said, I've already judged him. Wait a minute, Paul. Judge not that you be not judged. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of this world or with covetous, extortioners, idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of this world. I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, idolater, reveler, drunkard, extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Verse 12, 
For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Oh, here's the question. What have we got to do with judging those who are outside? Who do you think he's talking about outside? The world. Outside the church. Non-Christians. Those outside the Christian faith. Paul said, what have I to do judging those people? Can you judge a sinner for sinning? Isn't that what sinners do? Why are we shocked? But listen, he goes on. Here's what he says. He says, do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from you, put away from yourselves the evil person. I want to just tell you, first of all, that I think where the church gets it wrong sometimes is that we judge those that are outside and we fail to judge those that are inside. We get it backwards. We do right the opposite of what Jesus said to do. Because there's something that feels right about judging a sinner for sinning. I'm listening to Christian radio a while back. I very seldom ever listen to the radio. I'm just like a worship guy. I just listen to worship music all the time. But I'm listening to the radio going down the road with my wife. And, and the DJ on Christian radio is talking about some actress in Hollywood that lost her children. And they said, call in and tell us what you think. And for the next 15 minutes, people call in and run this woman down like a dog. She should have had her kids taken away. Anybody that's going to put alcohol and drugs over her children. And I'm listening to the church judge somebody who's on the outside. And I'm thinking, why is anybody shocked that she's abandoned her child? I thought that's the type of stuff lost people did. I thought, I thought that's why they were living in darkness. I thought they acted in dark ways. And here's what he said. You can't judge those who are on the outside. That's, that's God's job. But here, here's what our job is. To judge those who are on the inside. Now, here's what he said. You go, then why did he say judge not to be not judged? Because I heard, a buddy of mine went to Bible school. Went to seminary. Some of you are there. I never went. I never went. But I have a friend that went. And he said this to me one time. He said, you've got to read a verse in context. I said, that's deep. So here's, here's what I'm showing you. In context, the reason Jesus said, judge not, you be not judged, because Jesus is looking at these hypocritical Pharisees. And he's looking at them, and he's saying, the way you've been judging has got to stop. Now, I read, a, I read a book a while back on white herb. You say, why? I don't know. I just like reading any biography. My brother had a book at his house on white herb. I picked it up, started reading it. Three days later, I'm finished. And back in the days of white herb, back in the days of the West, when, when someone committed a crime or someone was accused of committing a crime, a mob would form, a group of people. Do you know what they called them? Lynch mobs. And if old widow Smith's cow was taken, somebody would say, I think fat Jack Black did it. And they'd go out there and get old Jack Black or fat Jack, and they would get him, and they would pull him out of his house. They'd take him out to an oak tree, and what would they do? They'd hang him. They'd stretch his neck. And then it may be a day or two later that they'd find out, actually, it was Fat Jack's cousin, Omniope. He's the one that took the cow, and he was just borrowing it, and he was bringing it back. He just needed some milk. He didn't mean no harm. And it was too late. That's how the Pharisees were. I was reading that book, and honest to God, I was also in my devotion reading Matthew chapter 7, and I thought the Pharisees were like a lynch mob. If they even heard a woman had committed adultery, the Pharisees were notorious for taking her, 
dragging her out of her own home, taking her to the public square. And with vigilante justice, each one from the eldest to the youngest would pick up a stone and they would begin to throw stones at her until one fatal blow left her lying dead in the street. There was no mercy. There was no compassion. Vigilante justice. They didn't care about evidence. They, they weren't concerned about let's go and hear some witnesses. Let's dig a little deeper. Let's get all the facts. No, they were quick to jump to conclusions. They were without mercy. They believed the worst. They listened to gossip. And they judge people. And they do it fast. And so I think, here's what I think. I think Jesus was like White Herb. Because White Herb, I read in that book one time in a town, there were some people that formed a lynch mob, and they were going to take this guy and hang him, and White Herb got in the middle of them. And in that book, it said, White Herb said, this man will be judged, and I quote, according to due process. He said, he'll go to the court of law. There will be witnesses. Evidence will be gathered. He will be tried among his peers, and you're not going to touch this man. And one guy began to rush to grab the man, and White Herb pulled his pistol out. You probably saw it in the movie, even though it didn't happen in the city that the movie showed. And he put the gun to his head and said, you may take this man and you may get me in a rush, but not before I get a few of you. And they all backed off and they went back home. And I can view Jesus just standing up and saying, hey, this vigilante justice, this way you're judging, it stops right here, it stops right now. There's a new sheriff in town. There's a new sheriff in town. And then Jesus gives us five steps. And this is not a scripture that we should never judge. Rather, I believe this is a scripture on how we should judge. In the Gospel of John, he, he, he'll look at the Pharisees again and he'll say, You judge according to appearance, but I judge with righteous judgment. Not all judgment is bad. Not all anger is bad. Would you agree with that? Be angry and what? Sin not. There are some things that ought to make us angry as children of God. But it should be a righteous anger. And I want to tell you, there's a righteous judgment. It's not according to appearance. What is it? Five steps. You ready? Number one. By the way, let's get it out of the way. Have any of you noticed I got a bit of a tick? How many of you noticed already? Raise your hand. You're so kind. I shouldn't have even said anything. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, I was kidding. There's nothing wrong with me. Let's move on. <laughs> nothing wrong with me at all. <laughs> I shouldn't have talked about it because now it will drive me absolutely crazy. <clears throat> um, number one, here's what you got to know. Measure it back. With whatever judgment you use, it'll be what? Now, i got a question for you. When you stand before God, how do you want to be judged? Do you want to be judged harshly? Do you want to be judged without all the evidence being put together? Do, do, maybe when you're judged, would you, would you like God to, I don't even want Him to judge me fairly. Do you? No, I want Mercy. I want to be gracious. I want to, listen, God, I know what I deserve. I'd even like when you judge me just to not give me what I deserve, but withhold your punishment. Show me some mercy. Be kind and gracious to me. God, you, you came and you were tempted, and every point I'm tempted, please sympathize with my weakness. Please sympathize with me, Lord. That's how you should judge people, because what goes around comes around. Whatever a man sows, that will also reap. You will get what you give. You've got to watch how you judge people. The first step of the process of due judgment is this. Know that however I deal with this person about the speck I see in their life is how God's going to deal with me 
when he sees the specks in my life. And it's also going to be how God allows others to deal with me. Second thing he said, he said, why? Now, I know we're in a ser- series here at the church called Blush, and I, and I heard we're talking about the hard questions Jesus asked. Can I give you a hard question he asked? Right here is a hard question. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? Why? Is it because you're jealous? Is it because you're self-righteous like the Pharisees? Is it, is it because you're prideful? Is it because you're bitter? Is it because they remind you of somebody that hurt you five years ago and you're going to take out on them what somebody else did to you? Why? Jesus was a genius. That's a profound question. See, here's, here's what I'm saying. To judge is to love, or that's the way we should do it as Christians. When you see a speck in someone's eye, why does it bother you? The reason and the only reason it should bother you is because you love them. And you know if the speck doesn't get out of their eye, it could cause them to go blind. In other words, you know if I don't help them remove that out of their heart, if they don't get that sin out of their life, it could destroy everything. It's not because I'm angry. It's because I love you. It's because I'm concerned. I was at one of our Hope Centers a while back. I, uh, he talked about Hope Center Ministries. Long story short about that, a buddy of mine in 2004 got shot. He got five bullet holes put in him. He was trying to buy a crack down in Nashville. We used to party together before I became a Christian, and he broke into his aunt's house and robbed her, took $3,800 from his uh, widowed aunt. And he went down there to buy some crack, and, and the guy pulled out a gun, and my friend was so miserable, he told the guy, shoot me, you can have the money. Shoot me, you can have the money. And, and the guy said, just give me the money. And he grabbed the three fifty seven, put it to his head and said, pull the trigger and you can have it. Now the guy with the gun is screaming, let me go, let me go. Funny story. And he's yelling, shoot me, shoot me. And the guy that's got the gun that's trying to rob my friend is yelling, help, help. He's yelling, somebody call the police. True story. My buddy tries to grab the trigger to pull it. The guy pulls back and the gun goes off. And he shot with a 357. It goes in the arm, out of the arm, in the leg, out of the leg, in the leg. And the bullet was right here. And the day I saw him, he had on a little T-shirt. He's about six foot four, Big old guy, played sports in school. He's a bag of bones that day. His mom called, said he's homeless. He's been shot. General Hospital put him out. He's been living at the mission. She said, if my husband, his stepfather, said if I go help him again, that he'll divorce me. I don't know what to do. And I said, don't worry about it. I'm on it. I'll go do it. I picked him up. He told me the story. Long story short, the bullet did come out. He got filled with the Holy Spirit one day. You're Pentecost Church, so I can tell you this. About three months later, he got saved. Three months later, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to speak in other tongues, and the bullet pops out the back of his leg. That's a true story. I think it's cool. He, he saved that bullet and put it in the cup. And sometimes when he's trying to tell people about being filled with the Holy Spirit, he's like, stuff will come out of you. Look at this. And he tells them the story. He's like, all kinds of stuff's going to happen. True story. And so, so I just told you that to say, that day I dropped him off at a friend's house. We put him up for a week to get him detoxed. None of us had any money. I'm pastoring a little church. The Lord said to me, start a Hope Center. And I pulled off the side of the road, and I began to weep. And I knew somehow, somehow I knew exactly what that meant. I knew what the building would look like. I knew I'd buy a lot of acreage. I wound up buying 110 acres for our first one. I knew. I knew what the program would be. I don't know how to explain it to you. I'm just telling you, when God said start a Hope Center, I knew what it was supposed to be. 
I told you that story to say this. Let me, let me fast forward now. Some years later, I've got a Hope Center. It took three and a half years of begging, preaching, borrowing, literally everything you can think of to start a Hope Center. Me and my wife sold her home. We, we, we sacrificed a lot. So I'm living the dream. I'm getting to see a Hope Center. Now I've got four Hope Centers. I'll have up to 100 people in treatment all at one time now, living on our property, coming to live with us for six months. And, and one thing I do is I try to go to a center every once in a while just to lead a Bible study. Or, or maybe I'll go and I'll just take all the women at that center and I'll take them out to dinner and we'll, we'll go to a restaurant. It just keeps me connected. I've got to stay connected. I can't be there every day, but every once in a while I've got to get connected. A few years back, I was at one of our centers, and I called the director and said, hey, I'm going to come by in the morning. I'd like to do a devotion with everybody, get them together. And he said, oh, that'd be great. And, and so I gave up my time. I, I came by there. I got up early, 7 a.m. in the morning, and it's about an hour drive from my home. And So, you know, I'm, I'm there doing this devotion, and there's the boy in the room. His name's Aaron, and he's only been in there a couple of weeks, and he's got an attitude, and it's bothering me. And I tell them to open their Bibles. He won't open his Bible. He's turned around from the group, kind of turned away from the group. And I told him, hey, man, you need to open your Bible, pay attention, turn around. He takes his chair and he slams it down. I don't even know what I taught that morning. I'm so angry I want to spit. Y'all know that kind of talk? I'm ticked off. I'd use another word, but you'd throw me out of the church. I'm upset. When the devotion's over, I'm walking outside, and I'm going to go find the director and say, I want him out of here in one hour. Drop him off at the mission. I don't care. Tell his parents to come get him. I don't know his story. He's gone. Within an hour, I don't want him on our property. He was disruptive. He, he doesn't care. He doesn't know the price people have paid. If he, if he doesn't care, I don't care. And as I'm going to tell the director, the Holy Spirit confronts me. And he asked me a hard question. Here's what he said to me. Why? Why are you so bothered about the speck in his eye? And I thought about it. It wasn't because I loved him. It wasn't because I was concerned about him. You know the truth? It's because I'm prideful. It's because I thought I'd arrive. I'm a big shot. I'm president and founder. Pride. Rather than going over and telling the director to throw him out, I actually went and got in my car and cried and asked God to forgive me. I had to remind myself, I didn't start this. God started this. It wasn't even my idea. It was his idea. Everything that's happened, we've had land given to us. We've had checks written. I had a guy a while back come and just uh, gut a whole house and put $80,000 of material and donated all the labor for our women's center. And I'm realizing, God, you've done this, and I used to be grateful. The reason I told you the story how it started, I used to would have done anything to see these guys in here. When I had to ask the question, why am I about to go to him and deal with him about his attitude, it wasn't because I cared about him. It was because I cared about my ego and it wounded my pride. The director called me later that evening and said, one of the guys told me that Aaron gave you a fit today. He said, you want me to throw him out? And I said, no. And I told him the story. And he said, well, I'll, I'll go talk to him. And I said, don't be rude to him. God's dealing with me. It's not about him. It's about me. Calls me back a little later and said, Pastor, I talked to Aaron. And he wants me to apologize to you. He was sorry. But a letter came in last night, and he got it right before Bible study, and he read it. And his wife let him know that she was divorcing him. She was taking the child with him, that he would never see that child again. And he said he said to say he was sorry, he just couldn't, he couldn't face it. All he wanted to do in that meeting was to go downtown and get some crack 
and smoke it till he passed out, hopefully till he died. Maybe get some heroin and shoot it into his veins. Take a hot load. He just wanted to die. How do you think I felt about that big? you got to always ask the question, why? Because, see, sometimes what's bothering you about other people may be God wanting to get something out of your heart. Why is it that I see the speck in your eye? If I can only an- if I can honestly answer, because I love you, because I'm concerned for you, because I care about you, then by all means proceed. But if you have to get honest and answer the way I answered, stop right there. <laughs> it's not about them, it's about you. Here's the third step. Well, you are looking at me now like he's a terrible guy. Send him back to Tennessee. Here's the third thing. Consider the plank in your own eye. Jesus is an absolute genius. I'm telling you, the fact that he says, consider the plank in your own eye. Um, You know, we all have the propensity to see other people's faults a lot clearer and to see them easier and to see them quicker than we can see our own. A few years back, it's probably five or six years ago, I'm guessing, I'd had a terrible day. You have those days every once in a while in ministry. And I just had a bad day. And I walked in the house, and sure enough, there's a... Actually, I walked in the house. I'd been there for a while. But I walked in the kitchen, and there was a, a gallon of milk sitting there, and it was warm. And I called. I went and got my wife and called her in there. My wife's name's Jessica. And I said, honey, I'm tired of throwing stuff away. And I gave a 15-minute lecture on starving children in Africa, how we throw food money away all the time, I mean, I let her have it, and I just said, we're just, we, if we're not good stewards, God can't bless us. And she's standing there with a big smile on her face. And I said, and you, and you think it's funny? You think it's funny? Oh, it's funny. Kids are dying of thirst, but it's funny. She said, no, I think it's funny because I didn't eat the bowl of cereal earlier. You're the one that ate the bowl of cereal. I said, let's drop this right now. I said, I just, honey, here's the thing. Listen, judge not that you be not judged. Actually, I said to her, I said, honey, it's not a, it's not a big deal. I, you know what? I feel foolish. It's a gallon of milk. It's $3.78. I start walking through the house. My wife, she's chasing me through the house. Oh, no. Two children died as we were speaking of milk deficiency. We've all done it, hadn't we? You're laughing because you've done it too. Romans chapter 2 verse 1 says you judge others and you yourself do the same things. There's a story in the Bible, the Old Testament, about a guy named Nathan. He's a prophet. And he comes to a king and he says to a king, he tells a story. I'll paraphrase a little bit, but you go back and read it. He says to a king, he said, king, there's this rich man that lives in your kingdom. Oh, he's rich. He's got tons of land, and and over all of that land in his fields, it's more livestock than any other man has in the kingdom. He has livestock. He has sheep. He has them as far as the eye can see. But across the road, there's this neighbor, and he's a poor man. And he has a little bitty piece of land, and he only has one sheep to the whole family. And, And this one sheep, though, it's not just an ordinary sheep. This sheep is loved by his own children. This sheep sleeps in his house every night. But the rich man had some dinner guests coming in, so he went and took the poor man's sheep and he made lamb chops out of it. He slaughtered the man's sheep. 
What should we do to the rich man who has done such a thing? And David can't wait to answer. David says, kill him. Kill him. And then, and then the prophet looks at David and said, you aren't the man. Because it wasn't a sheep. It was his wife. And David, you've got numerous wives. You had beautiful wives. He had one. Uriah the Hittite served you. You had everything. And you took from him the one thing that meant the most. I want to ask you a question. Do you think David's response was any different now than he knew it was him? Psalm 51, right after David has been confronted by Nathan that he's the man. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving, loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from all my sin. He goes on down and says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He begs God to hear him and begs God not to take the Holy Spirit from him. Here's the funny thing. When David thought it was somebody else who had done lesser of a thing, he said, Kill him. When David realized it was him and he had done worse than that other man had done, David said, oh, please forgive me and show mercy. Do you know, a lot of times I'm no different than David and neither are you. If I'm not careful, I fall into the same trap. I'm hard on you. I'm easy on myself. What am I saying? I'm saying that if you see something in somebody's life, before you can go and deal with them about the speck in their eye, about the sin in their heart, Number one, let's go back through it. I got to know it's going to be measured back. So I better go with the right, the right heart, the right attitude. What do I got to do? Number two, I got to ask why. Is this really about them or am I just having a bad day? Is it about me? Is it coming from a place of love? Is my judgment a result of my love for them? And number three, I got to consider that whatever they're doing, I'm sure I've done it at some point in my life. I had somebody come to me a while back and confess they've been gossiping about me. And they felt terrible, and I said, it's no big deal. I'll forgive you. Let's go get something to eat. No, you don't understand what I've said about you. I said, I'd, I'd rather not know. Just let's go. <laughs> let's go. If you made fun of me, I just, you know, I don't need to know that. But I've said some terrible things. It's okay, really. Really. And they said, how are you not mad or offended? You know how many times I've said things about people? I've talked about some of you in this room. No, not really. I'm just kidding. But let me say something. You've talked about some people in this room. Boom. <laughs> you have. Some of you are like, oh, God, what's God showing him? Listen, I was in a meeting this other day, and there was a bunch of pastors. I got to tell you this. And somebody said something, and I'm just cutting around to mess it up, and there's this young pastor over there, and I looked at him and said, you're a pervert. We're going to have to get that straightened out later. And I kept on talking. And I said it for a reason. It's an inside joke messing with some guys. This guy, when the meeting was over, broke down crying, and he said, God's called me out in front of everybody in that room. I said, man, I was just kidding. <laughs> I was just kidding. You're talking about the joke's on me now. I said, I will go back and repent to everybody. I didn't really know you were a pervert. I was just joking with you. Here's what he said. He said, I am I'm a pervert. I am a pervert. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, what have I done? He thought I'd done. He thought God had called him out in front of everybody. When I said some of you have spoke about our people, and I went, boom, some of you were like, you started getting a twitch, didn't you? All right, let's move on. You've got, you got to consider 
You may have talked about me. You may have lied about me. You may have misjudged me. Maybe you were dishonest, but you probably have never done anything I haven't done. Even if I didn't do it to you, I guarantee in my life, I've probably done it to somebody else. Why do you think it's so important to consider? As I tell you what, now I'm going to look at you. I'm going to, when I come to you now, I'm going to come to you out of humility, not out of pride. Because I've got to consider my life has probably been no better than yours, possibly worse. Boom. What does that even mean, young people? I don't know. I keep seeing it on Facebook. I love it. Number four, remove the plank from your eye. Remove the plank from your eye. I, lo- I love it. Man, I just read this and go, Jesus, you know how to help us deal with one another. You know how to... You know how to tell us that if we'll work relationally with each other like this, oh, it's not going to offend you when they come to you. You're going to be grateful for it. The reason he said remove the plank out of their eyes, you can't lead where you've never been. And listen, you can't give what you don't have. And in other words, if your heart ain't right, how are you going to help them get their heart right? Is everybody with me? You've got to remove the plank out of your own eye. You've got to deal. You've got to repent. You've got to confess. You've got to say, God, try my heart. Know my heart. See if there be any iniquity in it. I've got to make sure my heart's right before I come to you and try to help you get your heart right. Remove the plank from your own eye. And then here's the last one. Remove the speck from their eye. Now it's time. Now listen. It's not time until you work through the four other steps of due process of righteous judging. If you jump the gun, you may do it wrong, and then they don't get help. They'll keep it in their eye because they're offended at you, and dadgummit, they're not about to take it out. Who do you think you are? And now it may cause them to go blind. See, the whole goal is to restore a brother in a spirit of gentleness and gent- gentleness. At least you also be tempted, right? I mean, Matthew chapter 18, if you see your brother in sin, what did Jesus say? Judge not, be not judged. Don't even worry about it. Or did he say, go to him? And go to him and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained a brother. Right? Yeah. That's right. If you didn't know, that's right. It is. And so, remove the speck from their eye. I want to say something real quick about this. I was in a country, I I do a bit of traveling and and leadership conferences. And I was in a country a while back. And I absolutely love the people in this church. I, I work with them on a regular basis. And, uh... There was a young lady in this church. Now, she, she's just a pretty girl. She's young. I'd guess her to be about 18. But she dressed very provocative. She dressed sexy. And I want to say something to all the young ladies in here, and not just young ladies, all the ladies in here. Don't, you don't want to dress sexy. You can dress pretty. You can dress beautiful. You don't want to be sexy. Sexy, sexy is bad. That's for your husband. You don't want to be drawing men. Don't put a stumbling block for all the brothers in the house. And she dressed that way. And so I just said to one of the leaders, I said, you know, I noticed all week, this girl, I can tell she loves God. Somebody ever maybe said anything to her? I know it's a delicate subject. And, and listen, I'm not talking about being legalistic. I, I'm talking about stuff hanging out that shouldn't be. Okay? And so then I walk in there. They're like, well, brother, we just try not to judge. We chase her off. And I'm like, okay. And then I walk around the corner one day because this guy's been putting her, his, his hands over her all week and it's bugging me. And they're like, well, brother, you know, it's just none of our business. And you've got to let people keep coming. And I, and I understand. I understand. But she's on the worship team. She's a leader in the church. I'm thinking, surely you ought to talk to her sometime. Been in your church now five years. That's what they told me. One of your main singers. And so, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not talking about those outside. I'm not talking about a guest or a visitor. I'm not even talking about somebody who just got saved. I'm talking about a leader in the church. And so I walked around the corner one day, and her and this boy were wrestling, tongue wrestling, just sitting there wrestling with each other in the mouth. It was disgusting. Listen, like Popeye the sailor man, I had taken all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. So I pulled him to the side, but I had to break him up. And I said, hey, I'll talk to you in a minute. I need to talk to you right now. You should have seen her face. I said, man, you got to talk. I said, this ain't no wrestling match around here. I want to talk to you about some other things. And I pulled her aside, and I began to tell her her value to God. I began to tell her, you know, when I see you, and I began to tell her all the things I saw when I saw her. And I just said, you know, i got three little girls at home, and, and, and I know I'm not your father, and I'm not only be your father, but I want, to, I want to speak on the behalf of your father to you. I want to speak on the behalf of your heavenly father. And as I talked to her, she began to tell me about her childhood, things that had happened to her. She told me about how she just wanted to be loved. She, she told me I just want to be valued, and tears are streaming out of her face. I gave her a good old side hug, you know, kept it real, you know, and, and I just began to pour into her. And, 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 and I talked to that boy, too, and he didn't like it. Matter of fact, he didn't like it at all. Matter of fact, he told me he didn't he know if he was a Christian. So I told him, I didn't tell her this, but I told him, you get out of here. Hit the road. Back. Get out of here, Jack. I'm going to bring some hope guys up here. They're going to whip your butt. You get around her anymore. And I really did show him love, but I did let him know, man, you got to respect her. And I told him, see, she's just trying to show you love. And I, and I talked to both of them to this day. I actually got reprimanded by a leader in the church and said, that's none of your business. And I said, oh, yes, it is. I saw a speck in somebody's eye. I didn't go to her because I was angry. When I talked to her, I actually had tears streaming down my face. I, I, I understand maybe some of the things she went through as a child. I was abused in different ways, but I know how that can live with you for the rest of your life. I know how it can cause you to make bad decisions. So I spoke to her, and to this day, every time I go back to that, to that city, to that church, she, she comes right up to me and my wife, and she bear hugs us. Every time I'm in that city, she wants to go to lunch or dinner, and we do. We go out to eat with her every time we're there. She Facebooks us often. She loves us, and she told somebody a while back, she said, Pastor Josh helped turn my life around. He taught me that I'm valuable to God. Now, everybody around there was saying, judge not that you be not judged, and I said, forget that. In the words of Sweet Brown, ain't nobody got time for that. We're going to have to help this young lady. You know what I'm saying? Go home. What would you learn in church today? Well, they were quoting some theologian named Sweet Brown, some prophetess, and they said, ain't nobody got time for that. Here's what I want to I say to you real quick. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads because I'm going to try to make it spiritual some way as we end. We're going to figure this out. We're going to navigate into a spiritual realm. Um, here's what I want to say. We are our brother's keeper. I agree that we shouldn't be judgmental, hypocritical, fault-finding Pharisees. I, Jesus said that kind of judging stops, and it stops here. There's a new sheriff in town. I understand that. But I also understand that in the body of Christ, we've got to love each other and get each other's, watch each other's back. And we've got, we got to be honest with each other and honest with our family members and honest with our neighbors and honest with those who are inside, not outside, inside. 
And we got to make sure we work through the steps of due process. But we got to be honest. Jesus, you're in a series called Blushed. Jesus saying hard things to people. Jesus said hard things to people because he loved them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Like a skilled surgeon, they'll cut you only to heal you. Father God, as we close out the part of uh, this service with the preaching, I just pray that if there's anybody in our life right now that we're offended at, if there's anybody right now we're upset at, if there's anybody right now that we see something and we've been saying it's not right, but maybe we've been telling everybody else, but we hadn't actually went to them like the Scripture said, I just pray you take these steps today and, and we would work through these steps in our own heart and then give us the courage, boldness, and humility to go to them and help them with their heart and let us be an instrument in your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a good word. Let me give you an assignment. In a size, a, a crowd this size, I got no doubt that in this room there are folks that you've had issues with. Maybe it's the person you're sitting next to now. Maybe it's the person you came to church with this morning. The Bible talks about this, that when you come into the presence of God and you try to worship, if there's aught, if there's that broken relationship that you can't even worship, there's a blockade between you and God. And Pastor Josh just lined it out for us, the steps that we need to take. If you're hurt at somebody in this room, you need to make it right this week. If you're hurt at somebody that's a believer in your life, you need to make it right. You need to walk through these steps and make it right. Father, I pray that we would get very, very, very practical. That we would live out what we've learned today. That relationships would be restored. That husbands and wives would make it right. That parents and children would make it right. That fellow believers would make it right. That we would live in harmony with all men. I pray that you would restore relationships as we follow your word. Even when it's difficult. And even when it's embarrassing. We would follow what you say to do. And Father, we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Would you give Pastor Josh a big hand for bringing the word this morning? We've had a lot of It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 